knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Welcome to this week's episode of Bear Archery's Hunting 101 podcast. This week, I am joined by my good friends over at Scentlock, Mr. Aaron Amber, the CEO of Nexus Outdoors. Aaron's a good buddy of mine, and uh, we talk all things camo. We talk silhouettes. We talk scent control. We talk thermals and hunting the wind, but we also talk about layering how to stay warm out west when you're running and gunning, but then you have to stop in glass. We talk about all this and more. It's a phenomenal episode as you gear up for season. I hope that some of these things that we share about camo and patterns and silhouettes and layering is something that you'll consider because it will not only make you more comfortable this year, but it will make you more successful this year when you start to think about camo, the way that camo should be thought about. So guys, Buckle in and stay tuned because Aaron is a phenomenally smart guy when it comes to all of this stuff. So I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Welcome to Bear Archery's Hunting 101 podcast, where hunters new and old come to learn and find inspiration from stories of hunts gone by. Everyone is welcome to enjoy the outdoor way of life, and there is no better time to start than right now. So let's head into the great outdoors with your host, Dylan Ray. Guys, if you've been around hunting at all, you've probably heard of a little company called Muddy. I have learned that if it says Muddy on it, I can trust it. From tree stands, ground blinds, trail cameras, to all the accessories, if it says Muddy, it's a name I can trust. I love their tree stands. I love their ground blinds. I love their trail cameras, the new Merge and their Morph cellular trail cameras. They're phenomenal, especially when you pair them up with a solar panel and they last forever. Guys, I would encourage you to check out Muddy uh, for all your tree stands, ground blinds, all the accessories, bow hangers, uh, harnesses, everything tree stands or ground blinds or accessories related. If it says Muddy, I know that I can trust it. Guys, I know the new Rage. The new Rage is these super light tree stands that cost like 400 bucks, and I'm like, well, why would I spend 400 bucks on one when I can spend 100 and get four tree stands um, that are all going to perform, they're all going to be safe, they're all going to be comfortable? Guys, Muddy is the gold standard, in my opinion, uh, for what a tree stand and a ground blind and trail cameras should offer you. So guys, go check them out. They are phenomenal. And I promise you, if you're shopping at a Dick's Academy, Bass Pro, Cabela's, anywhere, if it says Muddy, I promise you it's a name you can trust. All right, Aaron. So um, I, I jokingly said I have you here to talk about how camo is pointless, but um, in a sense, I mean, that's kind of what I want to talk about, but also how beneficial it actually is. Um, you know, because there's that old adage of like, well, my dad killed deer in blue jeans and a, and a flannel shirt. Yeah, he did. But how many more times did your dad get busted, you know, than he would now if he had on good camo? So, while, while, yes, like Fred Bear hunted in flannel because the stripes and the squares broke up his silhouette, but, you know, camo is going to break it up that much better. So um, I'll tell you kind of where this episode stems, stems from is, is a buddy of mine asked me, he said, hey, how come we have to wear camo and but yet our strings and our veins and our, you know, our bows are all lime green and hot pink and and orange and yellow and. And I just told him, I said, well, you know, deer don't actually see in color. Uh, they see blue hues, but they don't see in color. Um, hence, why we wear bright neon orange when we're hunting. But camo is to break up our silhouette, um, not necessarily, you know, help us blend into the earth, but but break up our silhouette so that deer doesn't just see a human figure. Um, so, Aaron, talk to me about the importance of Talk to me about the importance of breaking up silhouette and kind of how we do that throughout the year with different patterns, different shades, uh, because I do, you know, I do change patterns as the season goes, because if you're wearing a, a super light color in the, in the, 
in the early season, then you look like a bright shadow. If you're wearing a dark color in the late season, then you look like a dark shadow. So just kind of walk me through kind of how you your rules of thumb for for blending in and and you know staying hid. Yeah, well, thanks, Dylan, for having me on today. So it's good. Of course, early season year it seems like a year since we talked, but it's probably about ten months. So thanks for uh, having me on the show. You know, in respect to camo, it's it's interesting conversation because everything you mentioned to this to this point is fact, right? Um, every everyone is killed. You know, going back to the past in solid colors, and you know, movement. I would tell you, regardless of camo, is always key. But beyond movement, when you do have to move, or you have very wise deer that are looking up in the trees, I mean, you you need to do something to, I would say, break up your your silhouette. And you think about the favorite name I've ever had of all time is when Masio came out breakup, because that's what essentially we're trying to do is is uh, you know, feller sitting in the tree is you want to make sure that you're you don't look like one big solid blob. And that's essentially what camo does. Camo takes a solid blob in which we would look like if we were one solid color in the tree and actually breaks us up so we look different shades, as you mentioned, to a deer. So breaking up the images is number one in, in why it's important. You know, and I think it's always funny when you talk about colors as well, is that, you know, um, a small color like on a knot, say you have green knocks if you will um that little piece of color um does not look like a blob so when you're talking about deer small hits of color whether it's on your veins your knocks or your strings or maybe you have something on your grip that that is that's exposed it does not show up like a blob so hence you know color has never been a huge concern and you know i i think you know what you want to do as well is try to use colors if you will that represent the time of season. So the most extreme example is back in the old days when Scentlock came out with Vertigo. So if you remember, Vertigo was a was a, one of the first patterns that I I think was ever developed that had a lot of highlights to it or open spots in the pattern, and that was created so visually when you looked up and looked at a tree in a gray sky. Talk about November, you saw some lights, big pieces of lights, and some parts of dark. So that's how Vertigo was actually developed. And today um, we simulate that late season pattern with the Gila. So Masio Terra Gila, which is a nice job of some darks and some real lights that really represent a good, um, I would tell you, a rut on when the leaves start dropping camel pattern. And then I would say from an early season, uh, Terra Outland, because it has different flavors of lightness and darkness in it. It has more darks, if you will, and less uh, prevalent lights, light colors in it. So it looks more like a fall, early fall pattern with a lot of leaves on the tree, less openness, and then you transition to Gila, which I covered earlier. So that's uh, that's my two cents in in, uh, three minutes of conversation. Well, yeah. I mean, if you just think about like where you're going, like if I'm going to you know, a big rocky part of Idaho and I'm going to be hunting a bunch of rocks, then I want to, I want to wear that Terra because, you know, there's a bunch of grays and big open spots of rocks or, or boulders, whatever. Whereas, you know, if you're in the thick country of Colorado, you know, I might go outland because I, I'm going to be on the ground. They're not, I'm going to be in thick stuff in green and, and browns. And so if I'm wearing bright colors, then I, you know, a brighter color like the Terra well, then I look like a bright, white and they still silhouette me as a bright you know more open figure um so just think about like how what what area am i in and how do i break up the silhouette in that era area you know i was telling somebody like this uh just now i was having this conversation with somebody i said you know i could make camo out of bright neon green bright fluorescent pink bright neon yellow bright purple whatever as long as it has the shapes and stuff that breaks up my silhouette, which is why, I mean, if you remember, I had one, I don't know if you had one, but I have one of those old orange neon jackets, but it had the break, it had the black branches on it, you know? So you're still wearing your orange, but that's going to break up your silhouette. So you don't just look like one big blob. Um, so it doesn't necessarily now again, though, 
they are going to see in the in the brightness and the lightness. So I can make you know I can make an early season pattern out of dark green, dark orange, dark you know purple, dark whatever, and all these colors. But it's still a darkness that the, is going to blend into the darkness of the woods. And then in the late season, you know, bright greens and bright oranges, and you know, that's going to be more light and 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 not have me look like a dark shadow. So, you know, it's not necessarily the color and or how pretty a pattern looks, but it's more of just the darkness and lightness of the pattern and how it breaks up your silhouette. Yep. In the environment which you're in. So yeah, that's well said because you can have, yeah, I'm going out antelope hunting in the third week of September and I'll be chasing critters on the prairie. And that's a great example where, you know, the lighter the patterns, um, in, in other words, lighter on the dark side and lighter in the, on the, uh, open side is definitely beneficial versus looking like a blob out there on a really dark camel that doesn't have a lot of breakup in it. So uh, probably right. the opposite, the worst extreme of that situation. So yeah, certainly a good question though, Dylan. Well, and it's, you know, I, people talk about like, there's this South Texas camo, you know, and it's got like cactuses in it and, and, and brush and stuff. And I'm like, well, while it is going to break up your silhouette, it doesn't matter if it's a cactus or a, you know, a, a flower. It doesn't matter what the object is that's breaking up your silhouette. You know, it's not like a deer sees that shirt and they're like, oh, that's just some more cactuses. All they see is that it's breaking up your silhouette. I mean, so, again, it doesn't matter what's necessarily on the pattern or, or how pretty it looks or, you know, whatever. It's just, does it break up your silhouette? Now, that Texas pattern works. Because, again, it's going to help you blend into your surroundings and break up your silhouette. But it doesn't have to, like, if I'm hunting in an acorn tree, I don't have to say, oh, man, there's no acorns in my camo. I'm not, I'm busted. You know, if I'm hunting in a cedar tree, I don't have to say, oh, there's no cedar on my camo. I'm busted. Well, no, just wear a darker pattern that's going to break up my silhouette inside of the the cedar. So um, I think while you can't say camo is pointless, you can say a lot of people way overthink it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yep, definitely. And, you know, I would just say, I think there's a thing between years. You got to feel confident. And I think some of the looks give people some confidence and then you got to look good on the gram. So camo <laughs> also has to look cool. So when you do the gripping grin, uh, you feel good there as well. So some good shelf appeal, some good effectiveness, knowing where you're hunting, knowing the time of season and certainly all those things come together to give you all the confidence, go do what you need to do. So I would say it's, it's like any life. It's, it's a matter of personal choice, um, but that is some of the science that we did, that we talked about that is really the essence of the effectiveness of why camel works. Now don't, don't get me wrong again. It is, it is better. Like it's one of those deals. Like, yes, I could put on a green and black striped flannel and go out and kill deer. I could, is camo going to help me get away with more? Absolutely. Yeah. Is camo going to get a, help me get away with more if the sun comes right behind me, you know, and a deer looks up at me and I would otherwise be incredibly silhouetted as a shadow figure in the tree? A hundred percent. It's going to help you. So why not use it? Yeah. Is it the end all be all? No. Like I can't just say, well, I'm completely camoed up, dude. I can walk right up to him. No, but it will help you. So why not utilize it? Well, I'm sure glad I'm not hunting like I was back when I was a youth and wear my Oshkosh uh, dark brown coveralls in the tree stand. So I'll take any advantage I can get at my age. You know, my uh, I had this conversation with my dad and he was mad at me that uh, my son is decked out in scent lock. And he's <laughs> like, dude, no. He's like, every kid should have to be out there and like, you know, be miserably wet. They should like they should have, you know, baggy wool socks on and they should have, you know, stickers stuck all into their camo sweatpants because that's all they had. Because then they'll then they'll value the good clothing they have further down the road. And I'm like, you know, Dad, that's a really stupid idea. Let's get them miserable so they like this, you know. Let's make them to where they're miserable and hate their life so they'll keep wanting to do this more, you know. We must we must really loved it when we were young. I still I maybe told you the story, but my first pair of hunting boots was just my cowboy boots I wore on the farm with goulashes pulled up over it with the buckles on it. So you probably a cheap pair of cotton socks, 
my cowboy boots, my goulashes, and then my Oshkosh coveralls, probably the hoodie underneath and probably a hat, a stocking hat from high school that had the high school colors in it, the red, black, and white. So that was my first hunting outfit. You know, it's funny. Like when you go back and look, I'm like, dude, I wore a lot of stupid stuff. Like I would wear like seven pairs of sweatpants, you know, cause I didn't have anything else. So you're, you're putting on your long johns and then you're like, well, these PJ pants are always warm at night. So you put on a pair of PJs and then you're like, well, uh, I used to wear these, you know, these long football socks. So I'd put those on and then you'd put a pair of sweatpants on and then you put a pair of blue jeans on and then you're like, I'm ready to go. And then you can't even move your legs. You just have to waddle out to the woods, but <laughs> try to stay warm, you know? Well, that's one thing that we were doing a little bit right at the time, which is layering. The difference is now is, you know, as far as the layering options we have, you know, they're they're a lot lighter and they're not cotton, which doesn't wet out and they're able to be on demand. So a lot of times, you know, I, I tell people about layering is more than not, I'm wearing you know, my rubber boots, if I have a long walk in the tree stand with just my base layer on. So I still have scent protection, but I want to make sure walking in the stand on a long walk. You know, you try to, I try to be like a deer, but a lot of times your ranks just trying to beat that, you know, get in there early enough. And, you know, I like to wear almost nothing in to the degree I can, I say, you want to be cold when you get out of the truck before you start walking. So, you know, I use my backpack a lot and put on put my mid layer on, I might pin my heavy coat on the back in cold conditions, try to manage moisture and then use layering solutions. Um, you know, use it more as a kid, if you will, during the season. So um, I, I think the layering thing we did have right, uh, we just bundled up way too much with different kinds of fabrics that weren't good for bundling up. And uh, so it was a little bit of a train wreck. You were always wet when you got to the stand, usually in the old days. So, well, I want to make note of something. I try to wear straight, and you said it, you said your base layers. I try to wear straight black into the tree stand at, at, in the morning, you know, when it's dark. I try to wear straight black into the tree stand. So whether it's my base layers um, or maybe, you know, if it's really cold, I'm going to put on like my blackout jackets or, or blackout pants or something, but um, which is a great new idea from Scentlock, by the way. I'm super stoked with those. Uh, if you hunt a blind, I would highly encourage you to check out Scentlock's new blackout because I've, you know, used to when I would go to a blind, I would just have to wear a hoodie because nobody made high quality hunting gear in an all black. So you just got to put on a hoodie to go sit in the blind. Uh, because again, going back to that breaking up your silhouette, if you wear a camo in a blind, you're screwing yourself because now yeah. you're a, a, a silhouette of, of something not black and that the rest of the blind is. So if you're hunting in a blind, wear black. Scentlock has a new blackout colorway, and it is phenomenal. Finally, somebody offers good, high-quality hunting clothing in a black color to wear in a blind. So kudos to you guys. But I try to wear all black walking into the, into the tree stand if it's in the morning. Um, but talk to me about layering. What do you try to put next to skin? What do you try to put after that? You know, What's your mid-layer? What's your outer layer? What's the best way to go about doing that to stay warm? Yeah, you know, it all depends, Dylan, on what time of year. But t t what what is static during all parts of the year when I hunt white tail, I don't get too serious until the end of October. I'm always wearing a base layer because I, you know, I have a belief that I want to capture any scent, if you will, that my body is emulating um, with that first layer of defense, I call it. So the base layer is an absolute. And then I would tell you from my outerwear garment from a jacket and pant probably one of my favorite pieces is our voyage or be1 voyage which i would put on the heavy weight side or the heavy side of midweight and that's probably my go-to solution and then when it gets to that point where you get some cold snaps and my base layer plus my voyage isn't enough i i definitely would add like the ridge hoodie which is new for us this year it's a you know, a, a fleece piece that has really nice thermal value to it. Or My favorite I, piece by far. Yeah, I love it, that piece. Yeah. yeah, it's great. Nice, soft. You can actually wear it as an outerwear piece, believe it or not, as well. But we did design it for more of a mid-weight layering piece. And then probably my tried and true favorite, which we talked about before, is my heated vest, which I have one on today again. Um, and what I like about that is you get 
some thermal value out of the insulation package in the vest. But more importantly, you don't have to bulk up. You can pump the jams, turn on the, the heat on the vest, and then you can really warm up when you need to. So, you know, that's probably my 80% go-to. And then when it gets colder yet, I'm using my base layer, my vest, and then I'm probably using the Voyage pants and probably a divergent top because I'm a, I really love our divergent. It's got cream loft gold in it. It's got the big uh, kangaroo pouch, keep my hands warm. And so that's probably, I would say, answers probably 95% of what I take to the woods where I hunt. Now, clearly, if you're more in climate situations or you have moisture, that's just a whole nother bag of trips, tricks, which, you know, I typically don't hunt when it's raining and pouring. And, and uh, if you did, you'd have to take a waterproof piece in. Now, I told Steve-O, I said, uh, dude, you guys need a divergent in every weight. Because the diversion is so well designed, like just, just the functionality and the, the, it's a great piece. And sure enough, like they're, they're not called the divergent light or the divergent mid, but you know, that Ridge hoodie is really designed a lot like the divergent. And so it's almost a divergent mid. Um, so you're talking right up my alley, man. You're, you're mentioning all my favorite pieces. So, um, with, you know, we got a lot of Western hunts coming up quickly. Um, some people already headed out. Um, what are your layering tips for out West? I mean, because that, that makes a massive difference if you're walking, you know, eight miles versus 200 yards to a tree stand. Yeah. I, you know, I, I think for the West, it's, you know, pretty straightforward with me, what I wear, you know, I wear lightweight garments, definitely want to be breathable, you know, it's always a challenge when you think about hunting the West from really high activity. You're, you're in very, you know, you're moving fast, you're accumulating moisture. So you're trying to wear as light as you can, but be as warm as you can. And I think one of the biggest things that is always true, you're trying to manage moisture and you're trying not to wet out. So, you know, I, I think, you know, the Savannah for us is really important from a lightweight silhouette. Definitely the new Phantom pants. I don't know if you've tried those. Those came out last year. The Phantom pants with the Phantom top, which is, like you said about the Divergent, it's a nice pullover half yep. zip, if you will, which is a really nice lightweight piece. So, um, you know, there's there's definitely, I would say, where less is more. And just know what you're going to get into. Because like elk hunting, you know, elk hunting, that is definitely can be, you know, you could be humping it. And so, you know, I, I most of the time always elk cut and I'll favor on the lighter side of whatever I wear, try to be cool when I'm getting out of the truck in the morning. We're trying to, you know, figure out where the elk are going to come up the hill. And uh, and then, you know, you always can throw in like the paradigm we talked about or the paradigm, um, the ridge hoodie as a nice, you know, put it in your backpack. If you're cool and you're waiting there on the side hill and the elk are taking longer to get up to you, you can put that on. So. You know, I'm a big fan of having a backpack and bringing an extra layer instead of wearing everything on your initial pursuit when you get out get out of your truck and go after your game. Yeah, and that is, you know, and I just tell people too, like, you have to be ready to stop as well. Like, mm -hmm. while, yes, you're running and gunning, like there's times you stop and get locked up, you know, on top of the mountain, and then you're freezing cold. <laughs> because you're sitting for four hours, you know, whether you hear a bull coming and, or, or you sit in glass or you, you know, whatever the case might be, you have to be ready to stop as well. Yeah. And so, you know, something like, like the vest or like, you know, um, obviously you're not going to pack a divergent with you to, to, to stay warm, but something like a, a heated vest that's still very light and going to offer a lot of core temperature warmth. Um, but whenever I stop, what I do is I immediately pull out, my vest, I throw that vest on and then I am immediately going to unlace my boots so that circulation can start getting to my feet. Because a lot of times what happens is your feet's not actually getting any circulation. So that's what's causing them to get cold. So if whenever you stop the glass and you just unlace your boots a little bit so that you can move your feet around, get blood flowing to your feet, um, keep your feet warm, keep your core warm, man, if you keep your feet and your core warm, and this doesn't just go for Western hunting. This goes for tree stand hunting as well. If you keep your feet and your core warm, the rest of your body follows. Yeah. Um, so don't try and 
because man, when we were kids, I don't know how I drew my bow back sometimes. Like I looking back at what I was wearing, I'm like, how did you even draw your bow back? You look like the Michelin man going out there. But you know, nowadays clothing offers such warmth for, for so, you know, little thickness and little binding up in your shoulders and everything. But I'm a big vest guy. I'm a big vest guy because I can cut down on, you know, an entire layer that would bound up in my shoulders to draw my bow back. That's going to add that core warmth, especially when you add the heating elements to that. And I can heat what's really important about keeping my body warm. So, um, you know, that's what I really focus on is feet and core. And if I can keep that warm, I'm going to have a good season. Yeah, that's a good tip for sure. Guys, if you run any kind of supplement for your deer, which you absolutely should, there are things that deer need. And I have found that when I run supplements for my deer, um, it keeps them on my property so they don't go wandering off onto other properties looking for that thing that they're needing. And so I have just dove fully into running minerals and protein for my deer all year long. Buck Bourbon does supplements and attractants really, really well. Whether you're looking for a long-range attractant like the 110 proof um, or whether you're looking for a feed that you can run all year long in a feeder or um, even just on the ground in their barrel proof, Buck Bourbon has what you need. I can tell you story after story of going onto a new 500-acre piece, dumping out some long-range attractant and deer just coming into it. Guys, it will make a difference in the way that you see your deer come in. So, guys, I would highly encourage you to check out Buck Bourbon. You can use code HUNTING101 in all caps to get 15% off. But I would just encourage you, no matter what, to start running some sort of supplement for your deer. It'll have a happier, healthy herd. You'll keep them on your property more, and you can better manage those deer. Guys, go check out Buck Bourbon. Now, what is your, what's your favorite pattern? Let me ask you that. Oh, I, you know, probably... It, that's a hard one. I, I definitely like the more open patterns um, versus the traditional um, stick and leaf patterns. So definitely, you know, Terra Gila for late season and Outland. You know, if you had to put a gun to my head and make a choice, I definitely like um, the Outland for earlier season. And, you know, I think it just depends, again, you know, whether to your point, your ground blind hunt. But I'm my my response is really rooted in sitting in the tree stand as it relates to that comment. Yeah. So lighter, more open patterns late and, you know, a little bit less uh, on the light and dark, if you will, uh, disparity for early season. So that, that would be pr pretty, you know, tried and true, no matter what camel you're looking at. How about yeah. you, Dylan? What's your face? Definitely Alland and, and, and Gila. Um, now my favorite pattern of all time, this is no secret is bottomland. It's just a really cool pattern. I love bottomland. Um, for where I hunt, it's not very functional uh, because again, it's a very dark pattern and it doesn't break you up very much. There's no big wide open, you know, whites in it. And, you know, being in Kansas, there's trees are sparse. So if you're sitting in a tree, you need some whites and some open whites. Yeah. Otherwise you're going to look like a, a silhouette. And so, um, bottomland is my favorite pattern ever. Like if I'm going to just like rock some hay dudes with, with camo on them, they're going to be the bottom land. Um, yeah. but for hunting, most certainly the, the outland and the Terra Um, yeah. by far, you know, I think what's challenging too, you mentioned trees, not only the, the amount of them, but you know, a lot of times think about, you know, when you've been running and gunning and probably hanging a stand in a tree that kind of swayed with the wind. Um, so, you know, definitely it's really important. Smaller trees, definitely it's way, way more important to have a very nice broken up silhouette. Big, you know, 50-year-old cottonwood or 100-year-old cottonwood. Yeah, it's still important, but more and more than likely you might have the tree behind you where your shot opportunity is. So I just think there's a lot of depends, if you will. But for the rule of thumb, I think the role we've been talking about today is the right one to put put anyone down to have the most consistency from a success perspective. Yeah. And that is dude, the scariest thing that's ever happened in my lifetime was an earthquake while I was sitting in the tree stand. Yeah. So I'm Why? sitting there and this, this earthquake happens and it just felt like I was like sliding down the tree, like really fast. And I was freaking out, but then I look and like my bow hook is still, you know, right there. So I'm like, okay, I didn't move. Like, 
what just happened? And I, I hadn't pieced it together yet because I just thought, I'm like, it's not windy. The tree didn't blow. And then it happens again. And and I'm like, what in the world is going on here? And so I'm like, I like get on my phone to call somebody and it, you know, it notifies me that earthquake happens or whatever. I'm like, oh my gosh. I just felt an earthquake in the tree stand, but every time it happened, I felt like the tree was just sinking into the ground or I was sliding down the tree or it was creeping me out. But, but that is part of the reason why I like a smaller tree. Um, because man, like you said, so many guys, you know, you mentioned shooting behind you and having this massive tree behind you, but it also, if you're sitting against one massive tree, then again, you look like a silhouette because you have you know, different shapes going on you. But when all reality, that is the time I should probably just wear all brown. You know what I mean? Because I'm sitting back against the tree. So if I wear all brown, my silhouette looks good. Um, So, yeah, man, I mean, I think that you have to look at that and say, man, my, you know, I'm sitting up against one massive tree. So all that's behind me is brown. So I don't want any lights. I don't want any, you know, darks i want to be wearing just uh i want to wear bottomland because that's what bottomland looks like bark you know um so yeah man i think uh you have to be fluid and change with it but i also you know i i don't want to contradict myself but so many guys just overthink camo and they they think that they have to have this for that and this for that and this for that and you don't like just blend into where you're sitting and think about your darks and your lights, and you'll be fine. Yeah, totally, Dylan. And, you know, even before we get to camo, we we get talk about managing your scent, which is number one to me. And then number two, just being a prowess hunter where you know when to draw. Because I mentioned it very early on, is movement is everything. So having your tree stand set up, um, knowing knowing animals enough and being around deer enough to know, when you can draw and when when it's least risky to draw and when it's most risky to draw. And, and, you know, if you have a good stand set up and you have, you have that classic bush, you know, that you can make sure you draw when he comes behind, you know, that, that to me is scent, knowing when to move. And number three, your camel pattern, that that's how I would rank this conversation. Uh, because in reality, if you put enough hours in the tree stand, you know, you know, those things are key. Um, and then if you get in a bad situation where deer are moving through, you just don't want to get busted. You silhouettes a, is a huge thing as well. So, yeah. All right. So what is your, what is your scent control regimen? Like, how do you, how do you handle all that? Well, you know, it's, it doesn't come without battle scars. Um, and, and I, I would just, tell everyone and Dylan, you and I have talked about this is, you know, um, managing your sense a little bit like, you know, really good religion. You got to do it consistently and, and do it well. And, you know, I, I do the basics of which we preach all the time, which is, you know, take care of your body, right? Make sure you're as clean as you can um, when you're ready to go. Number two, make sure you manage your clothes and make sure those are scent free and a, an airtight tote. And then number three, make sure your hard goods, you, you spray those down with liquids. And, and I think the last part is just, you know, making sure that you're not naive and not um, blind in the way you set up your tree stand locations. You always hunt the wind first. I don't care. You know, we're not a magic cloak that you, you put over your body. We're the extra protection when you're aggressively calling. When you got a deer that gets gets downwind, which you weren't expecting, they didn't take the path you wanted to, they'll move through your scent column, if you will. Um, but if you're not taking care of yourself, you know, I'm telling you, deer, I believe deer over time have just gotten more savvy. Uh, I, you know, they, they, especially calling, the only reason, I mean, I love calling, but I hate calling because they just get you in a, in a tough position those deer do because that buck unless he's just super fired up or you have a decoy or something like that he he knows right where that sound's coming from and he's going to come right downwind and if you really want to learn about it you know go hunt coyotes coyotes are the king of knowing right where the sound's at and right knowing right where your scent stream's going so um you know that that i would just tell you it's a religion 
it's not easy to do and it's so easy to get lazy and i think that when you get lazy and don't follow that regimen is when bad experience can bad experiences can happen and uh, you know there's just no miracle out there that that's 100% you know sent free yeah and i i i tell everybody like my scent control is an insurance it's not a doesn't cover you 100% you still, your main priority is hunting the wind and using thermals to your advantage. Yeah. But what happens with scent cover is if a deer does get downwind of me, it gives me that extra four seconds of them trying to pick me out, of them trying to figure out what am I smelling. They are still going to smell you. Yeah. It's undoubtedly true. They're still going to smell you. However, it gives you that four seconds of like, wait, what is that? Now... You know, I was also asked uh, this question. They said, Dylan, you talk a lot about scent control, but yet your breath produces all of this scented oxygen into the world that you're not covering. So I was like, you know, you're that's a pretty solid point there. Um, and, you know, I hear, well, chew gum. And I'm like, well, then it smells like peppermint not, or spearmint or cotton candy or whatever kind of gum you're chewing. Um so how do you, I'll tell you how I handle it at least. How do you handle yeah. that? Well, the facts are is that um, we believe that over a third of your scent signature comes from here up. And management of that, um, you know, definitely I, I do practice good hygiene, which I think is always a good start. And I probably will tell you if, if, um, if I was going to take any one of the woods and there's, you know, one single thing I would do is make sure that we're a head cover. Now, you know, I'm, I'm going to talk real with you. Um, where I hunt a lot of times, I can see quite a ways downwind. Um, I will not always have my mask up on my mouth. There'll be many times which, you know, if I just want to breathe, you know, I just don't want it on my face. I, I may have it open. But man, as soon as I, you know, again, open the area, if I'm in a more closed area, I'm wearing it up all the time. Um, but, you know, that's one of the things that I think is the most underrated piece of equipment is a head mask. Head mask up here and then for your breath, there's a lot of scent signature, as I mentioned, that comes out of from neck up. Well, that's why I just shaved my head so I don't have to worry about this. the hair follicles <laughs> holding scent. I, uh, I, I told one of, our, uh, one of our mutual friends, Fred Eichler, uh, he came on and, and he, the screen popped open and he goes, oh, my gosh. He said, what the heck happened to your head? And I said, well, Fred, I said, honestly, dude, I'm just such a serious hunter that, you know, hair holds scent. And I don't want to hold any scent. And uh, later on in the show, he goes, so, Dylan, do I have to shave just my head or, like, everything? And I'm like, everything, dude. Get rid of all the hair. And uh, you just hear Michelle in the background say, I'm not shaving you. And I'm like, yeah. oh, man. But, uh. No, I think again to the to the to the person who's going to say your air is still going to escape from that mask because I know that's what's coming. You're right. But if the air is going through activated carbon or if the air is going through merino wool or if the air is going through you name it, then it still gives me that insurance of that extra six seconds five seconds however long i might need to shoot them for that deer to go what am i smelling i know i'm not smelling something correct but i don't know what it is um so it's still an insurance factor you're right air still comes through that mask just like air still comes through our covid masks so don't make me start wearing it again however it still gives me that extra bit of insurance of the breath is passed through activated carbon or through merino wool so it's still taking away some of the bacteria that was in my in my breath and gives me that amount of insurance. Yeah, you're just trying to really minimize your scent signature. So instead of a deer turning inside out, if you're not doing anything, you know, you've, we've all seen them turn inside out. They like turn inside out and run. Um, how many stories, Dylan, in your life, and you're a young guy, not as old as me, have you heard that says, if I just would have had that one, that deer would have taken one more step. If they, if oh. I would have just had another half second, and I know I, I'm not taking it literally, but I mean, taking it fairly in your four seconds, sometimes 
it's like coming downwind of you. They are coming in to get downwind, and they just hang up enough. But all those things we talked about, minimizing your odor signature, they're like, huh, I don't think everything's right here. But the difference is they don't turn inside out, and you don't get, you get right. a shot opportunity. So it's one more step, sometimes a half second, sometimes it's two or three seconds. It's just enough time where they don't turn inside out. And that's to me what it's all about. And that is such an X factor in a lot of, you know, um, situations we run into and encounters in the field. A hundred percent correct, man. And that's what, if I, if I can get this picture to pull up, I, uh, the moment you said that, dude, that is my, that that's my testimony with this deer here. Um, if I would have just, and I practice good scent control, um, but this deer here, man, he, like you said, perfectly hung up at 40 yards. I needed one step. All I could see was his head. So I'm looking at 165 inches, 170 inches of antlers for seven minutes. I needed oh. one step and he was dead. Can you see my screen? Oh yeah. I can see your screen. It's oh, sickening. that's my boy eating chocolate. But um, all I needed was one step out of this guy. And um, the moment I, I knew I was in trouble because it, he was, you know, about a step away from me shooting him, but he was also about a step away from being downwind. And he knew that. He knew that. I knew that. And so he didn't take that step. But again, I'm not telling you that you can that you can get away with murder if you if you practice scent control. That's not the point of this conversation. The point of this conversation is that it can give me that extra few seconds that I might need in a worst case scenario. And you're hundred percent right, dude. If you hit the rattle horns or you hit a grunt, a grunt tube, that deer is going to do everything in its power to get downwind of you. Everything yeah. in its power. And you're going to need that extra few seconds. Like you're going to have yeah. to have that extra few seconds. So I think you're you're spot on, man. That it's you know it's not the end all be all, but it's it's a, a necessary evil that we have to practice. Um, and you know, to the person who says, "Hey, I can get away with whatever I want after I do this shower," no, you're sadly mistaken. But to the also to the person that says, "Dude, I don't practice scent control; just hunt the wind," you're mistaken. There has yeah. to be both. You know, you have to you have to play both sides of that coin. So. You know, I would just tell people don't don't write it off one way or the other because, you know, those Western guys they don't practice scent control at all. They're in the back country for twelve days, smelling like rotten booty. They don't practice it at all. They just well, we got to hunt the wind. You're right, but if I have the ability to cover up as much as possible, why not? You know. Yeah, I agree, Dylan. You know, it's one of these things too. I I saw a recent uh, post and. You know, back to this leather boot. I don't know if you've seen the leather boot trend, and I I know it's probably pretty critical for doing some, you know, saddle hunting, etc. But I'm telling you, when I changed out and went from leather boots, it's been a lot of years ago, so long that I can't remember. When and I've said, I think on your little tech tips, you know, we talked about rubber boots, but why? Yeah. Why in God's great earth would you ever want to bring? To, to take a variable that we can control these days with rubber boots. And I, I've had really good luck. I remember the old days of my rocky leather boots and then following me into my tree stand. And I've seen the new days a long time ago where rubber boots, I still stay off the trails, but sometimes you have to cross them and I have not been followed from my tree. So why would you ever, ever want to, unless they're, you know, I'm not talking about Western hunters. I'm talking about whitetail hunters right now where you can weather, where, rubber boots in why do you want to take a variable that you can control you know it's all about the variables we can control whether it's the camel pattern whether it's taking care of our washing our body with scent-free soap whether it's taking care of our clothes whether you know it's right stand placement hunting the wind so all you're trying to do is manage all the variables that you can manage and sometimes that deer has a sixth sense can't do nothing about that so why do you want to bring a variable into the field, such as my example, I'll piss some people off, but I would never do it unless I absolutely had to wear non-rubber boots in the tree stand into my, into my approach to my tree stand. Just 
it's the facts, Jack. And and if you're that good, great. Um, all I know is that I've been hunting for a long time, <laughs> probably you know forty years, right? Um, and well, you're only forty one, so yeah, it just does not make sense. I've seen I've seen stuff that you'd be like, really, that happened? You get old and you get wise, and just there's enough battle with you and that critter, let alone these variables we're talking about. So just check the boxes, do them right, and then it's up to God and it's up to that critter if it's supposed to happen that day. But you got to be be in good shooting form and all these other things. And then if it's supposed to happen, it happens. That's that's yeah, fine. You're that's from the pulpit you're a, today. <laughs> no, you're a hundred percent right, dude. And like I take leather boots to the extreme. Like if there's any neoprene on the boot, I don't want to wear it. Um, because when you think about it, you're when you walk through a Milo field to get to your tree stand, you're touching every stalk of Milo with those boots. And guys, like leather holds scent incredibly well. The other day, I, I was out shooting my recurve, and I went to scratch my nose like that, and I got an overwhelm. I got an overwhelming aroma from my tab, my finger tab. That's leather because I put beard oil on my head. And so that, that tab over time, you know, since it's in the hands that I rub the oil on with that tab, like smells like an air freshener of vanilla bourbon that I rub on my head because it holds so much scent. And this was just, and you know, you had already turned me into a believer on rubber boots. So this was just a few months ago, but I was like, holy crap. Like I got to get a new tab before hunting season. Like I started thinking about like, dude, that is literally carrying a vanilla bourbon air freshener into the woods with me. And so dude, leather it, you're being, you're, you're not underplaying that at all. Like I have, I'm not going to wear a leather belt because it's going to hold scent from the cologne I put on or the, body lotion that it touched whatever i don't want any leather on me at all and because it holds scent incredibly well especially on your feet when you're touching everything in the woods that you walk by yeah i agree um yeah just don't do it unless there's some compelling reason to do it uh would be my advice plus you got to go through any small streams going in or small marshes or what be it you're you're also Keep your feet dry, so it's all good. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, you mentioned antelope hunting. What else you got this fall? Oh, man, it's kind of a, a little bit of a bummer. You know, I was uh, getting all yanked and all stoked to go elk hunting this time last year. And I love antelope hunting, don't get me wrong. It's just a different kind of deal than being in the elk woods. I've done it for a long time. Um, but I'm going to hit the whitetail woods. I'll start um, late October, and I'll... Uh, Kid anywhere from Illinois, didn't draw a Kansas tag. I got a Nebraska tag. I got a South Dakota tag. I got a Wyoming tag. And then I have a few uh, pets, pet deer in my in, at my place here in Michigan that, that my son might shoot. So I might live through him there. It's funny. I love killing deer, but I got this, this uh, small track in Michigan. And all my wife and I want to do is have a cocktail. And when the witching hour starts and we like just watching deer. So, um, yeah, I'm in amped up. You know, it's uh, it's always an exciting time. Football starts. The nights start getting cooler. Yeah, uh, you know, hunting season start opening up, and I just wish they wouldn't go so fast, Dylan. I'm telling you, they oh just come and they're just gone like that. So, how about you, dude? That's why November is my favorite month of the year, and and every hunter says that because of the rut, but it's perfect weather. You've still got football, but basketball starting. So you have all this these sports to watch. You're sitting in the tree stand. You've got Thanksgiving, which is the greatest holiday of the year because you just get to stuff your face and then go hunting afterwards. I mean, it's just November's the best. And yesterday, no, I'm sorry, two days ago, it got down to like, it was only like 70. But you walk outside and it's like, oh, holy crap, it's coming. And then it's still like 110 the next day. But for that one day, you're like, yes, it's on its way. And then it gets back to 110. You hate your life again. But, oh, my gosh, I can't wait, dude. Um, I have a the, the biggest hunt that I have planned this year is, is a whitetail hunt. Uh, but it is with Chuck Adams in Oklahoma. So 
I'll be spending a week in camp with Chuck Adams. And so that's what I'm most excited about uh, is just getting to hunt with Chuck. But, you know, I've got Kansas, Oklahoma, uh, Missouri, Arkansas, and maybe Texas. So um, I stay down south Midwest more. So, you know, I talk about Chuck for a second. I've never, I've only met Chuck once and he was back at a Cabell's grand opening and I forget where it was at, but, um, he is a legend. Um, glad that, that the youth, your you, alcohol puts you in the youth bucket. Um, know who Chuck Adams is. Um, you know, although Chuck writes a lot, um, I would kind of, I'd kind of put him in the lone wolf category where, that guy, when he gets, he, he's a lone wolf. He's done his own thing forever. And um, only through the writing has, you know, window ever been opened up to not understand who he is, but maybe understand how he goes about his trade. And, you know, there's countless stories. I don't even know many of them, but when he sets his mind on something that he wants to kill, whether it's chasing an elk or if it's, you know, chasing deer, he, he's done some incredible things. I mean, he's one of a kind. So, Dylan, I, I can't say I'm not jealous about that. Um, and I just wish that um, I wish more people could know about him. And yeah, and because and, he's he's done a lot for our industry, the hunting industry. And he's a he's a legend. He, he's he's Fred Bear and just a, a different chapter of the book, if you will. He's got his own story, a very unique story. Some people probably don't give a crap about him or don't like him, but. I would tell you he's done a lot for industry and, and he's a he's definitely has stories and I'd love to share camp with him someday. That would be incredible. You know, I I wish I could say that I knew about Chuck because I studied about him my whole life and you know, he was you know, I I also said this the other day. I said he's the Michael Jordan of hunting. And somebody piped up and said, Well, you can't really say that because everybody in the world knows Michael Jordan. Like whether you like basketball or not, everybody does. Only hunters know Chuck Adams. And I said, no. I said it's actually even a better comparison because a lot of people still debate that like LeBron or Kobe's better than Jordan. Nobody debates that Chuck is not the greatest hunter. I mean, it's undoubtedly true. I mean, he's killed over two hundred and twenty animals in Pope and Young. He's got however many world records now, three last year alone. Um, you know, just crazy, crazy numbers, but um, yeah, you're you're right, dude. I know about Chuck because of an older generation. Because my dad was a Chuck Adams fangirl. Like, I don't even know how else to say it, but like, you know, my dad, as of like three years ago, still shot like a 1989 Hoyt game getter because that's what Chuck Adams <laughs> shot, you know? And I'm like, Dad, you know that Chuck has shot different bows since then, right? And he's like, Yeah, but it, this was the best one he shot, you know? And I'm like, Dad, no, not not true. And so finally I got my dad because Chuck's is now with bear archery i got my dad a bear recurve and uh and chuck signed it and and sent it to my dad and so now my dad's over the moon happy with it but that's how i knew about chuck was my dad always talking about how well this is how chuck adams would do it well this is how you know he would he wouldn't quit right now he keep pushing forward and you know i heard those stories my whole life because you're right dude chuck is a a man that most people can't hang with because when he wants to kill something, he's going to go in for 40 days before, you know, he's not coming out until he kills it. You know, if you well, take I mean, last year, last year when he killed that world record, I mean, he was in the back country of Alaska alone for 28 days, never come off the mountain before he killed it. I mean, just that, that type of mental fortitude, most people could never have. Yeah. And he came through a great window that, you know, where I would tell you it, I think this is a fact. So just, it was it was less competitive, if you will, to do some of the crazy stuff he went and did. I mean, I would say, I don't know how inflations work, but there was a lot of tags. He did a lot of crazy, great things when the, when it wasn't as competitive as the number of people that even had a vision to go do something. But I will tell you that, think about the equipment that he shot a lion's share of his game with. It was not the equipment that we have today, you know, Besides maybe his last few kills. I mean, he was doing it old school while it was, a, you know, the first compound bows or if it was the recurves. I mean, he's just, he did it and a lot up close and personal stuff. I still remember, he's probably still shooting aluminum arrows. I don't know if he's shooting the XX-75s or XX-78s, whatever 
Easton era was, but that was his, you know, his claim. And, and, uh, so I, I'm telling you, he, I, I, you know, I like, you know, what you said, he, he's a legend. He is the Michael Jordan. Uh, there'll be other versions that come along the way that do it in a different time. And they, they, they're just as maybe as impressive as well, but Chuck will always be on my wall as a, just a, a great steward. Um, and his writing and how he took that on, knowing he had to do it back in the day to make money to, to actually go do the things. But he definitely educated a lot of people along the way. And, and me is one of those people. Yeah, absolutely, man. And the amount of people that, you know, the amount of people that, again, he's influenced, you know, going back to your statement about doing something for your industry. You know, I don't care if it's through writing. I don't care if it's through social media. I don't care if it's through video. I don't care if it's through pictures. I don't care if it's through do something to influence hunting for the, for the better. Do yeah. something that's going to make a, a real difference. Yeah. Um, like guys, listen, and I'm not trying to toot my own horn, but I've got two special needs boys in my youth group at church and both of them want to start hunting. And, and one of them is severely special needs. Like he thinks we're going to go hunting with taser arrows you know, that are going to tase the deer and breathe fire and shoot bullets and out of the arrow while it's flying. And, and at first I'm like, yeah, dude, there's, I'm, I can't take you hunting. But then I just thought, well, why not? Like, are we going to see deer? Probably not. Are we going to ever get close? Probably not. But if I don't do something to benefit hunting, then I'm, then I'm taking away from it. So, by all means, guys, find some way. Find some way, whether it's taking a kid hunting, whether it's writing inspiring articles, whether it's you know doing something to benefit the hunting culture as a whole. And I think Chuck yeah. is a, a phenomenal example of that. Well, I think Dylan, even you know, back to this kids thing, which is a you know, kudos to you for being involved in special needs kids. I mean, we we need more fathers out there we need other figures that want to help these kids um you know i think the other thing just you know have fun it's not you know you again I, I'm, I'm talking about age today um you know i when i was younger i wanted to kill stuff and and you know when you think about these kids just getting them off the screen out of the house get them into a ground blind take them turkey hunting you know put them in situations where not make or break you can have fun something doesn't work out it's about the experience you know and i forget who the country singer talks about you know uh it's not just about fishing the, the storyline there it's about the experience not about the amount of fish you catch that day there yeah. it's about that time you have with she thinks we're just fishing yeah exactly that's it and he may think we're just hunting but we ain't just hunting or she may think we're just hunting no, it's about the experience and time together, whether it's your your own kid or if it's a you know neighbor kid or kid from your youth group. You know, it, it all counts, and it's about giving back. And you know, at some point, you these kids are impressionable at that age. They might not go out and do it tomorrow, but they may be imprinted. They may come back to it, and uh, yeah, at that point, you've done all you can do. And uh, so, yeah. kudos to you. That's that's an important note for today. Well, and that's what. You know, when I took my son hunting, and it never dawned on me, like, this is this is big for him. Like, it never dawned on me. Like, when I killed that deer, man, he the words that came out of his mouth were, this is our deer. And I was <laughs> like, you know what it is, buddy? Like, it is. And And he was so pumped. Like beyond excited and he told everybody we killed a deer we shot this deer this is our deer and dude it was a dink of a deer but i was not gonna pass this deer i shouldn't say dink i mean it was it needed to die it was a mature seven and a half year old deer um but nothing impressive up top but my son couldn't have been more proud and and you know i just thought you know, I almost thought exactly like you, like, man, he thinks this is all about this deer, doesn't he? Like, <laughs> that's it. Like he, and the first words out of his mouth, you'll be proud of this, Aaron. Can we eat his body? And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, we can, buddy. 
We sure can. <laughs> well, Dylan, so, you're just on the front end of this thing. You just wait uh, as oh they get gosh. older. And I go back to some experience with my son. I send the college now that we've had, and he remembers them. And, and I, I, you know, I love doing things alone in the woods. But, man, the older I get, if you can share a story, share an experience with with someone you love, um, you know, telling the story is one thing. If you're the only one there, but you have another person that, you know, might be in the woods at the same time with you or in the blind at the same time, man, those are the best stories because you can both add to the story. You saw this, I saw that. And it's, uh, it's, it's, it's definitely what it's all about at the end of the day. You know, and I also think, I, I understand like that hunting ground is beginning to be more and more difficult to get. And access to ground is is more and more difficult to get. I I understand that, but at the same time, like don't close your off off yourself so much to where you're the only one that ever hunts alone, and you don't get to share stories with anybody. You don't ever get to, you know, share a camp with somebody or or have fun with somebody. You know, I've got leases that five or six friends are on those leases with me because. Like you said, I want to be able to call them and say, hey, dude, I just saw the Big Ten. Hey, dude, I just saw Rocky Balboa. Hey, dude, I just saw, you know, Sticks. Or, hey, I just, you know, and talk about the encounters and share that with them. But so many guys close themselves off, and it's like, this is my piece of ground. I'm not going to tell you anything about it. And they're they're missing out on an entire aspect of hunting, um, yeah, in my opinion. Yeah, at the end of the day. At the end of the day, it's each their own, of course, you know, where we all have different perspectives. But I would just suggest to what we're talking about, if you haven't shared the woods with somebody, you got to do it. It'll open up a whole new chapter in your life, and it's, it's pretty special. Yeah, absolutely. So, Aaron, you know I ask, I have every time you've ever been on, what's one tip that you would share with the listeners to that they can take and make themselves a better hunter with? Yeah, well, I got I have one for you. Um, has nothing to do with what well, it does. If you're leather, I'm gonna give the leather boot wearing guys some love because um, I wear a lot of leather boots too, <laughs> just not in the white tail woods. Uh, my tip of the day for leather boots, um, and this will be this will be an out west comment. We can use it for out east here. Is that um, when you're t- lacing up your boots, never keep your ankles in a nine degree fashion. Bend forward, lean forward as you do the final tie on your boot so that when you're going up and down angles, specifically up, you're not fighting the tightness of your top of your boot, which is cutting off circulation, which is creating numbness in your feet. And overall, your circulation will be better if you're not as tight at the top and you lean forward and you tie your shoe. That would be my tip of the day for the leather boot wearing Guys and gals are listening to the podcast today. But the other leather tip boot is that if you're wearing them in the whitetail woods, get them off. <laughs> Don't wear them in the whitetail woods. <laughs> or just put a tr- ba- trash bag around them. And then you know, you, you should have said, you should have said, this is my tip for wearing leather boots out west. Shared your tip. <laughs> then you should have said, my leather tip for when you go to lace your boots up in the whitetail woods is don't lace them up, take them off and put rubber boots on. Um, spirit of politics. I just went right down the middle of the road. So that's my tip, though. And, uh, yeah, Dylan, thanks for the combo today. You never know. It's kind of a like the windy path of life or a journey in the woods. You just never know where you're going to yeah. end. But um, you, uh, the, the path is definitely windy, so enjoy the conversation today. I'm very picky about the nonprofits that I will support. Um, I look into them a lot. I don't just jump in and support anybody that says we're a nonprofit. Um I met a, a friend of mine, his name is Jim Mesh, and he runs a memorial fund, a scholarship in his brother's name, the John V. Mesh Memorial Scholarship. And what they do, they have a passion for getting kids involved in outdoors. So they host these events around the country uh, to get kids introduced to hunting, but also to raise money for their scholarship fund, which is the John V. Mesh Scholarship. And what that is, is that's a scholarship that if any student is going into a field of conservation study, they can apply for this this scholarship. And it's a substantial scholarship. That's another thing. If, if, if they say we're a nonprofit and we do all this and then they give you know, a $1,000 scholarship, then you're like, well, where does the rest of the money go? But they give a very substantial, substantial scholarship 
uh, to a student every year looking to go into a conservation field of study. So guys, maybe you are a student and you're studying some some field of conservation. I would encourage you to apply for the John V. Mesh Memorial Scholarship. But also, I would encourage you, everybody, to support this nonprofit scholarship fund, uh, whether it's through a one-time donation, a monthly donation, or attending one of their events, uh, or, or buying one of the things they have on auction uh, at these events. Support a company that's supporting our rights as hunters by furthering our conservation efforts by supporting students who are going into a conservation field of study. Guys, go check out the John V. Mesh Memorial Scholarship at johnvmesh.org. Guys, go check out Scentlock. Go check out Blocker, Whitewater, all of the brands. By the way, we didn't even talk about it, but the Verse Pant is the greatest pant on planet Earth. I mean, it is... I, I I showed a pair to my buddy, and he said, dude, I can't wear these hunting. I got to wear these to church. And I'm like, do it. You can. Um, so, guys, go check out the verse pant. I did an ad for him a few weeks back, and I got several messages about him. Do you want to tell us about the verse pant real quick? If they heard the ad a few weeks ago and they're interested in knowing about it. Yeah, I would just say this simply, that um, we designed the pant to have the right weight. It's, it's definitely on the – early season side so it doesn't have thermal value so you're not buying it for thermal value but you're you're buying it for great agility and when you think about articulated knees you think about the shape of the garment from the, the rise the front rise the back rise um it is shaped if you will to be very ergonomic to your body to allow you to not when you raise your legs every time that you raise your legs, you have an opportunity to create friction, which creates fatigue. A good form-fitting pant will move with your body between the way it's shaped and the patterns are cut, plus the choice of the fabric, which it has stretched in the fabric. And then it has other features such as vented side um, zips, which allows you to vent and keep cool. So I believe it's a very great fitting garment um, to reduce friction, to allow you to be agile, uh, you can jump over, you know, uh, barbed wire fences. You can get up on the end, end gate of your truck and do a lot of really versatile things. I'll be actually wearing it probably when I go out west, uh, antelope hunting. I'll be wearing that first pant because it's just a, it's a great pant for highly active situations. And, uh, you know, it's not the old fit. You know, we definitely do uh, alpha sizing, so small, medium, large, extra large, 2X on our standard sizing. But the verse is actually numeric, and numeric is the only way, if you will, that you're not putting um, two different shapes in the same letter, if you will. Because if you think about a large, it's got to fit two different sizes in there. It covers a 36 and 38. Well, we have a verse pant that's a 36 and a verse pant that's a 38. So no longer, you know, is it like wearing your brother's old hand-me-down shoes that you're going to grow into. This is out-of-the-box shape for your body to make sure you go perform, and uh, glad you like the pan. I'm glad you love the pan. I love it. I'm excited about it. And I uh, hope everyone goes out and tries one. Yeah. it. You know, it's going to be a, a really good do-all pan. If I'm going out to hang tree stands or trail cameras or, you know, fill food feeders plots. or food plots or you name it. Um, it's hog hunting, turkey hunting. It's going to be a really good do-all pan, um, especially for out west. Like, I'm stoked to wear it out west. Uh, just a really good pant offering from Blocker. So, guys, make sure and check that out. Uh, you heard me do the ad for it, and it's not going to break your bank like a lot of pants from a lot of other companies that are just expensive for no reason. This has all the features of those, and it's not going to break the bank. So go check out the first pant from Blocker. Uh, but, guys, thank you so much for listening. You guys have a fantastic week. <laughs>